Welcome, everyone. My name is Tom Pritchard, and welcome to the Marriage Champions podcast, where I talk with marriage champions about the habits, practices, tools, skills marriage champions can use to have great marriages and families, but also help other marriages and families. Today, my guest is Phil Carlson. Phil and his wife, Michelle, have created an online marriage mentoring program called Connected Marriage, which seeks to equip people to help couples have a healthy marriage. We're going to talk about what led him to leave the business world to start up an online marriage mentoring program. We'll talk about some of the key challenges facing marriages today and what a marriage champion or mentor is and talk about connected marriage and what it can do to help people become marriage mentors. Thank you for joining me today, Phil. Tom, it's great to uh, be here with you. I, I look forward to our dialogue. Uh, I, I've been excited about this and I was excited that you reached out to me. Great. Well, give me a little bit of your background. Um, you've come out of the business world, but all, then you took this leap and are kind of full-time in, mar in the marriage space. What, uh, what led to this? And yeah, just talk a little bit about your background even before you got into this. Uh, well, so... I, for a long time, I was, uh, you know, active in my church. I was a lay person. I was on the board of the church. Uh, um, you know, my wife was active as well. She was a worship leader. But I would say that we, you know, we're, we're struggling somewhat in our own marriage. I mean, I, so my background is in sales. I was a sales and sales manager for a software company. Uh, and did technology sales for a number of years. And, uh, we ran into some of our own marriage issues. This was probably going back to the mid nineties or so. And, you know, we had just uh, some years, really tough years of trying to work through our own stuff. And, you know, I, it never even occurred to me that someday I'd be involved with, you know, marriage mentoring, marriage coaching, a marriage ministry. I, that just wasn't even on my horizon. You know, I think I was just trying to figure out how to stay married to Michelle uh, at the time. And, uh, but so we, we had worked through, uh, some of our issues and some of our stuff it took us probably about five years to really probably go from, uh, our marriages on the rocks to, okay, I think that we've kind of, you know, made some significant progress. Um, and at the, at the same time I was on the board of a church and, uh, so that we had a pastor that come in and, uh, you know, he had uh, said, uh, you know, I think we should do something on marriage. And he, I was in a board meeting and he kind of turned to me and he said, Phil, why don't you and Michelle teach something on marriage? And my gut response was, I don't know anything about marriage. I can teach you how to be married to Michelle, but that's probably about the extent of it. And, but I, I said, we'd think about it and pray about it. And I, I went home and, and talked to my wife about it. And so we kicked it around for a while. Now, my wife had been a professional trainer for a number of years. And so, uh, you know, so I think training is kind of in our blood or, you know, and I was in sales, I was used to making presentations and standing in front of a crowd is kind of something we can do. So uh, we found some marriage curriculum and, and that's kind of how we got started is we just taught a class on marriage at our church. Was this before or after you had kind of run into some rocky, rocky patches? Oh, it, your... it was afterwards. It was after we did, had, had had our own marriage issues. Um, and so we had done some of our own reading of stuff that we knew kind of our story and what helped us. 
in what our issues were, you know, come to find out that we weren't alone in those issues and that, that sometimes that, that just having that story helps couples. What, what, what were some of the challenges you faced, you know, whether communication or otherwise that you had to kind of work through in your own marriage, would you say? Oh boy. Um, you know, I think, uh, when we got married, uh, we probably thought we were doing everything right. Uh, and if you would have asked us, so I got married when I was 20, 20 years old, 20 years old. Um, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. Um, and so, you know, we, we were engaged and then we found out she was pregnant. So, so we got married and, um, uh, so we had you know, children right away. We had our son right away. And a few years later we had our daughter. And if you would have asked us at that time, you know, are you guys, uh, I'll, I'll happily married. We would have said, yeah, sure. We're young and struggling to survive and trying to figure out careers, but, but we, we've got it figured out. And we were very involved with our church. We were, you know, uh, involved with, you know, small groups, but kind of as time went on, uh, it, it wasn't really working very well. And my wife uh, was seeing a therapist because she was depressed. And, um, you know, I think part of the reason she was depressed was kind of our own marriage patterns. And I was part of the problem. And so part of that was we had to come to that grips. And so I had grown up in this real, uh, you know, we didn't really have emotions in my family. So very, uh, my, what I learned as a youngster was when you have emotions, uh, just kind of analyze them. And, and, and so if you're not in your emotions, you go into your head and you go into analysis and you become logical. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of related to Spock and Star Trek or something. I just want to be logical in everything. Well, so I get into an argument with my wife and I would say something like, look, why don't you just take a break? You can figure out what it is you want to talk about. Let's get back together and talk. Well, I thought I was being real helpful, but she couldn't process her emotions then. So I was basically telling her, don't feel, or if at least you're going to feel, don't do it around me. It's kind of the way she took it. Mm -hmm. And we had to relearn how we communicated. And I had to become comfortable with emotions. She then, because I had shut her down for a number of years, had just learned, I'm not going to bring that up with him. And so she, she wouldn't tell me. And so, so we never fought. We thought that, I thought that was great. You know, we didn't ever have, you know, conflict. We didn't, we didn't fight. Occasionally we had disagreement and then we'd logically sit down and talk about it. But she was just holding a bunch of stuff back that she wasn't able to process because I wasn't willing to really let her process her emotions around me because I was uncomfortable with her. So, so what were some practical steps you needed, I guess, get it out there. I mean, realize the issue you're, you're, you're dealing with, but what were some steps that you kind of took in your own relationship to, to, to well, get, to come together and to, you know, be, get to connected. Start, I had to start listening to her and that means allowing her to have her emotions. So I think then I had learned, well, she's free to have her emotions. I can't rush in to fix. I just have to let her, vent sometimes. And so she would, we got to the point, I'm not even quite remember how we got to this agreement, but it'd be like, she said, I just need to vent. And so she, so she would sometimes tell me, Phil, I just need you to listen. 
I don't want you to fix anything. Just listen to me. And I had to learn to do that. And you know, it sounds easy, but that was difficult because I wanted to, I felt like I had to fix her emotions or cheer her up or something. And I had to learn that's not my job. Mm-hmm. And so one of the practical steps was she would tell me what she needed for me at that moment. And she'd say, Phil, I just need to get this out. And then I had to just listen and try to listen and try to understand what she was feeling. Mm-hmm. But that then started to create safety where she could open up about more stuff. And then the more I kind of started to get in touch with even some of my own feelings, I was able to share some things back. But so, so little things like, uh, you know, I still, you know, so this was in the nineties, you know, and five languages of love was kind of new at the time. And, um, I still think that's one of the best, most insightful books for couples just to learn how to create positive interactions with each other. But I'm a quality time guy. I like to have quality time. And she would, she needs words of affirmation. Well, I didn't grow up in a house that affirmed me at all. I didn't, I never really learned to need that. So I didn't, I didn't speak that language. I had to learn to affirm her. So we went back to our small group and brought this all up. And they, we were pretty open with them about what was going on. So every week I'd come back and they'd say, so Phil, how would you affirm Michelle this week? <laughs> I'd have to come up with some suggestions. And if I didn't, so they held me accountable to it. And that was okay. It's like, yeah, help us to be able to do that. And she had to learn that she needed to set aside time for me. And so she has since said, you know, if I don't give it him time, it's grumpy. And I think it's probably true. I know it's true. But, but, so, so it was kind of looking at your emotional needs, basically, and knowing what, how they differed from you to her and how to meet those or work on those. Yeah, absolutely. And so we had gotten into patterns of uh, things like she would show emotion. I felt unsafe around emotion. So, so I avoided that. And uh, which would then make her feel uh, dismissed. And so partially we needed to recognize what our pattern was. What did we do? What, what was our, I took a step, she took a counter step. What, what did we need to understand? It's like, why? Well, then that ends up with both of us kind of not being, uh, at least I would walk away feeling pretty good about it because I'd tell her to go think about it and come back and she never would. So I thought, well, I'll solve that one. I'm going to put another one. But she just felt more and more dismissed until she got depressed. Hmm. Um, we had to recognize that is not a healthy pattern. That's not. Ultimately, we both wanted a good relationship. We wanted to be with each other. We wanted to, and, and it wasn't working. And so it's like we had to recognize it. And it took a while then it's to go, oh, okay. We're doing things that aren't only not healthy. It's not good for our relationship. And that if we continue this way, we, we would just continue to fall apart. Do, how would this apply to other couples in general? Is this the issue most couples deal with or is it a variation or is there a way to kind of look at marriage marriages and the problems they go through is there something that you've learned that really applies across the board so boy uh lots of lots of study behind that and lots of different theories are there some some general things yes absolutely there's some key concepts that people uh, can grasp, um, you know, so, so starting with, you know, building in positive interactions with each other. So I learned to affirm her, she learned to, 
uh, spend time with me. So, so, you know, that's kind of part of the five languages of love. Do you speak the five languages of love or not? Um, but then from there, you know, how to listen to each other, how to listen, not just for thoughts, but to emotions. You know, I tended to debate concepts. I liked doing that. I grew up, you know, we politically debate my family. I had to learn not to do that because she, she'd get frustrated. Uh, so we had to learn where the line was and where and when that was helpful and when wasn't it. But then, okay, so then that, that's our pattern, but there, there's a common pattern in there. And there. So there's, there's patterns that couples go through. There's, there's some couples that get into more uh, pursue, pursue, and, and pursue can be healthy. That can be, hey, I want to spend some time with you. That'd be a healthy pursuit. But then it can turn aggressive, like you have to spend time with me, or I'm demanding, or now I'm angry if you don't. And it's like, and then that communication can, can turn negative. Uh, and so then it gets turned into not pursue, pursue, but attack, attack, or demand, demand. And that's not a healthy pattern. Some couples get into that. Some couples get into more of the demand withdraw. And so some person's demanding or they're, maybe they're even attacking. And the other person goes, I, I don't like being attacked. So I'm just going to go off and I'm going to stonewall and I'm going to go off into my own world and I'm going to withdraw, which makes, then if someone has kind of the sense of, you don't care about me, you're going to abandon me. And then you withdraw, or you go into the next room or you just sit there and don't say anything. Then it's kind of like something just comes up inside and you go, no, I need more. And the, the demand actually then starts to make the person withdraw and to withdraw even more. And so it, it feeds into a cycle of a demand withdrawal within couples. And, and that doesn't create closeness. It doesn't create connection. So they, you, 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 you disconnect in essence because one person's running, the other person's pursuing. And it creates a, a terrible level of frustration on both sides. One person feels alone, the other person feels attacked. And so that's another uh, pattern that couples can get into. You know, another pattern is kind of uh, is withdraw, withdraw. So neither of you, either neither of you are comfortable with emotions or someone's gotten so frustrated with the relationship. So my wife had kind of gotten frustrated with trying, so she just shut down and she was withdrawn, which to some extent was fine with me. And so I withdrew. And it's like, well, if she doesn't want to talk about it, then fine. I'm happy not talking about it. But you know what? So we got into, you know, the, the withdrawal, withdrawal pattern too. Suddenly it's like very peaceful on the surface, but there's not a lot of connection happening in the relationship. And if that goes on long enough, then people start getting into, you know, so you get into jobs, you get into kids, you get into other things, and you're really not building the relationship. And eventually, you know, if you don't water your tree, you don't water a plant, it just kind of slowly shrivels. And it's the same with the relationship. But, but some of that's understanding what's happening inside of me that's creating that withdrawal or demand cycle. Well, how can couples kind of diagnose their issues or really know what is going on in our marriage, we realize something's out of whack. Well, sometimes it's so helpful just to talk to a third party that can help go, okay, then what happens? Then what happens? And so that sounds like you do this, you do this. And so sometimes you get so wrapped up in it, you, it's hard to see because you get wrapped up in your own emotions. And then you shift around and go, well, if they didn't do this, if only they didn't do that, you know, he or she does this. And so we shift into the blame cycle as opposed to, okay, 
what's my part in this and how am I doing this? So, so talking to a third party, but, but sometimes just identifying that there's these different patterns and some couples are going to go, oh, wow, that's how we do that. That's not helping. Do, do, you, do you find that one person, oh, there's a problem. We've got to work on this in our marriage and the other person doesn't or is it all over the map? Is there a pattern that kind of works out with couples? Like I've, the perception is that sometimes the wife will feel there's some major issues and the husband just doesn't want to address it. And then when he comes around, she's kind of given up on the situation. And then only at that point, when the, the husband realizes he may have major problems, he, he says he needs to be involved. And I don't know if that can be generalized or not, but. Yeah. I, so I think there's a pattern and, it, and it's not always, you know, Women, I think, are a little bit more sensitive to relationship issues than men are. Um, you know, but I, I hate to stereotype entirely on, on sexes, but, but, but I think that's true. And women tend to ask for help quicker than men do. Um, and, and so I think men sometimes feel they just have to be the strong ones or they're the, you know, uh, or they just don't want to deal with it or they don't want to deal with the emotion and it's messy and it's like, so I don't want to do that. But but not always true. I've seen it got reversed too. But yeah, so I think that there's there's uh, differing marital satisfaction viewpoints, and we see this all the time. I, I would say most couples don't really. If you ask them, you know, how do you rate your your relationship? They're they're not going to relate it at the same spot. Mm. And so as it starts to. Uh, one person becomes aware of, uh, maybe they become aware that, you know, we're just not going out on dates anymore. We're just not doing positive things anymore. So they start to notice the absence of the positive. And the other one doesn't necessarily notice that. And then, then they start to, one person will become dissatisfied and they'll start bringing up, well, this isn't working, we need to do this. So they'll go into the demand mode or attack mode. And then the other person withdraws because they they're you know don't want to deal with it, and so their marriage satisfaction uh, is oftentimes one person has become unhappy and the other person's not even aware there's a problem, or they're not aware of the severity of it. And so as as a period of time goes by, frequently what will happen is one person will become dissatisfied. They start to lose hope. They start to give up hope that this is ever going to change. And so they can come to a point where they just are, are done. And that's how sometimes, you know, I've talked to couples where one, one uh, person's just done and the other person is just kind of starting to become aware we got problems or and then they get like, oh, well, I'm willing to do anything to get you back. That's kind of like, well, I've been asking for years for you to get engaged and you haven't been willing. So sometimes it gets to be kind of a too little too late. But over that time period, then, then it becomes kind of all these negative feelings that that stack up. And so now there's a lot of anger and resentment. And I'm not saying you can't go back. You can go back and unwind that stuff and you can, you can, you can repair those things, but there's then a lot more resentment that's built up over a longer period of time. And, and it's more work. You, you, you know, you're, uh, so, so I sometimes say, you know, guys, it's like, this is like the oil light on your car. Um, if that starts to flash, if you could, if you want to ignore it, go ahead, but you're looking for major, major engine issues if you let that go versus just trying to dress it right now. You go put a quart of oil in, maybe work at it a little bit. and It'll be a lot easier than waiting. 
Because they say you can pay now or you can pay later. Is the old commercial? <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot more later in time and energy and heartache. Well, what do, what would you recommend? A couple of follow up questions. One is, what do you recommend for the spouse who sees a problem? I think there's. I think we've got some major issues here. And the other, she may bring it up or he may bring it up, and the other spouse says, "Yeah, not really." What what should they do? What steps should they practically take to begin to look at stuff? You know, so, so if you have somebody that's truly unwilling, you know, it's like anything you can do to try to get them willing and to make it safe for them and say, you know what, I just want the best, the best relationship we can have. And I feel like it's not worth it's at. And I'm not, I'm not interested in blaming you or attacking you, or this is both of our issues. We both have to own this. And so if you can kind of decrease the blame, that can help. Now, some people just, you know, they're just not aware or they're getting all their validation at work. So they throw themselves into work and it feels good. And, and they come home and their wife's a little grouchy. So it's like, I don't want to come home anymore because uh, I work late because people at work like me and they respect me and they look up to me. Then I come home and you're just here, you know, nagging. Uh, so, so, so how do you decrease that negative? At the same time, you need to be assertive about your need because ignoring it isn't going to help either. That's just going to make you more resentful. So, so eventually there's a, if it goes too far, there's a boundary you need to put up and go, we need to get help. And, and, and at some level, someone, someone's going to have to make a decision and, and help that awareness. But, um, you know, those are, those are gray areas. And when is that the right time? And how do you do that? What doesn't often work, though, is the nagging and attacking. That's not going to work. But, but being assertive, how do, you, how do you say it in a way your partner can hear it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was looking on your website, and you had a, a free document. It's called Six Steps to Helping Couples Improve Marriage Satisfaction. Yeah. What are those six steps, if you can remember them? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you know, when you say there's six steps, you know, let me put the little disclaimer on there. I'm not saying these are easy steps, okay? It's not like, you know, six things we're going to do and this is going to be easy. Because this stuff's difficult stuff. And it oftentimes goes, you know, like core of me and not wanting to deal with my own emotions had I learned, you know, as a, as a two-year-old, this core issues. But, but first, what can you do that uh, turns to positive interactions? So that's one of the first things. So that's what, so when I'm working with couples, that's one of the very first things we go to. And I'll tell them, you know, it is so much easier for you to do something positive that will build something in your relationship than to try to unwind the negative. Um, so let, let's find out, you know, that's five love languages. What, or, or, or in, 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 I, you know, if you're not locked into five love languages, I don't care. What communicates love? What is a positive interaction? And so if you're not kind of on the same page there, uh, that's the first place to start. And sometimes, uh, you know, I've just seen couples that it's like, well, I didn't know that, you know, spending time was such an important thing to you. Like, I could set aside some time every week, or maybe we just sit down for 10 minutes every evening and ask how your day was. 
uh, or whatever that is. You know, I had to learn to affirm my wife. That, that fed something into her soul. So it's how do we learn what those positive interactions are? And how then can we go, you know what? We both want to feed our relationship. We both want to build a relationship. What can I do that would show and demonstrate love to you? So, so oftentimes that's the first thing. And, it, you know, and I've explained to couples, it's like, I bet you know exactly what you could do tonight to tear apart your relationship. You know, if you do this, the night's not going to end well. And, well, what could you do that would build your relationship? That at the end of the night, it's like, oh, we feel a little closer to each other or, uh, you know, it's just something positive. And so, so sometimes it's, you know, as a researcher, John Gottman says, you need five positive interactions for every negative interaction. It's like, well, let's work on getting more positives before we try to unwind some of the negative. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get to the negative, but try to build that up. And, and so, so there's been different metaphors, different authors have written about, you know, uh, putting something in your emotional bank account or, making deposits or, uh, but part of that's just kind of, oh, do we feel good? Do we feel close? Do we feel connected? Do I feel that you're safe for me? What can you do that creates that safety and connection? Mm -hmm. So. Well, <laughs> first step. I mean, yeah, I can yeah, talk no. an hour on this. Okay. Yeah, no, just a quick follow-up. So what if one party says, I want to improve my marriage? What if they started unilaterally starting to do those things? Would that, would that be a positive step or would that have an impact on that marriage if the one spouse started to do those things? <laughs> you know, that was kind of so a few years ago, it was a popular movie and, and there was a book out on the love there, right? That was the premise. It's like, well, I can't control what they're going to do, but I can control what I can do. So let's start doing some positive things and building into a relationship. Is that going to help? Yeah, you, you control 50% of it. You know, so sometimes I'll get couples and we've taught, you know, marriage education stuff for a long time. It's like, well, can I, should I come alone? My spouse doesn't want to come. It's like, yeah, why not? You're 50% of the relationship. However you act, it's going to, it's going to, they're going to react in a certain way. And if you can build in some positive into the relationship, that might just help the relationship improve. Okay. Or maybe that makes them feel a little safer. Maybe now I'm not feeling attacked. You feel like you're listening to me a little bit more. And so I get a little softer and willing to listen. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the second step? <laughs> or so, another step? Um, you know, that's, that's being aware, you know, learning to validate, learning emotions, learning to listen. So, you know, I listen. If we really want to be listened to, there's kind of, I'm very, you know, kind of in my head. So there's listening to what my thoughts are, but I have emotions too, I've come to recognize. And for my wife, it is very much about what's happening in her emotions. And so being able to listen to that. And so we will do things like we'll give couples, excuse me, I'm thinking of We give couples uh, feeling sheets because if you don't have a language around emotion, I used to just think emotions were either good or bad. Say, how are you feeling today? Well, not bad. But that was about it. I, uh, that's about how I could describe my emotions. It's like, okay, so you're feeling uncertain. You're feeling, you know, angry. You're feeling sad. But it's learning that language of emotions and to be able to listen and to validate doesn't mean you 
uh, agree with each other, but at least you're listening to each other. And so building in those skills, and that's, that is entirely a skill. And there's, it, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. And that's something you can learn. You can, you can learn to get better at. So what does that involve when you talk about listening as opposed to ideas, as opposed to listening to emotions? How is that different? Well, and I see lots of guys like me. So if you, if you don't have a language around emotions and you can't hear it, um, it's difficult. You, but you, you can learn to do it better. Um, but you know what? So my wife, she get upset about something. And, you know, oftentimes it's just, you know, you didn't pick something up or you were late or, you know, it's little things and she'd get upset. But I remember, um, and, and it would be listening for those emotions. But when I made it safe for her to say those things, then she could go to a deeper level. And then things wouldn't escalate. So I'll give you an example. We were teaching a seminar once and we would oftentimes uh, you know, demonstrate uh, listening to each other in front of a group. So one of us would come up with an issue and we still do this. One of us would come up with an issue and then we'll bring up the issue live and we'll you know, resolve it as best we can in the short amount of time we have in front of the group. And my wife uh, brought up an issue of me throwing away a receipt that she had on the counter in the kitchen. It was like for a, a bottle of suntan lotion. We'd gone on vacation and we didn't use it. And I saw the receipt there and I was just picking up and I like to clean off the countertops. So I picked up the receipt and threw it away. And she was angry because she was going to bring back the, the suntan lotion we hadn't used. And it was like, so she brings us up in front of the crowd. <clears throat> My normal reaction would have been to go, what are you getting so worked up about? It's, it's like a $10 bottle of lotion. We'll use it eventually. So what? I threw it away. Sorry. So even me saying sorry is not honest. That's just dismissing her emotion and telling, telling her that it's not important what she feels. So instead I said, wow, you know, um, you're right. I did throw that away. And I can see that it was really important to you. And you're upset that I threw it away. And she, because I acknowledged her emotion, she was able to go, you know what? It's not really even about the receipt. It's that you're not valuing me. You know, I'm trying to, you know, not waste money. I'm trying to be responsible. You don't value my contributions. Well, suddenly, because I had created safety for her, she was able to go to a much deeper level of, do you value me? Do you care for me? Do you love me? Do you respect me? And it wasn't about a receipt. It wasn't about a $10 bottle. It was about her feeling loved and respected and valued. But it was because I was able to recognize her emotions that she was able to get to that deeper level. Now for years, I would have just said, it's 10 bucks, so what? And then she would have walked away feeling dismissed and unloved. Good. How about other steps? Let's see. Tom, you didn't ask me this ahead of time, so I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head. Um, <clears throat> you know, part of it is, is understanding our, um, our internal triggers. So it's our family of origin. 
it's the things like me going to logic and analytics instead of emotion that's a defense mechanism well I've, i still work on that but so there's there's what we fight about that's you know money sex parenting chores whatever that's usually not the issue because if you can negotiate those things you can figure out solutions even if you disagree and stuff you can figure out what you're going to do but then so then there's what's underneath that is how you fight and that's the, I feel attacked, I feel criticized, criticized. I feel like you're looking down on me or you're ignoring me. It's I feel attacked or ignored. And that's kind of the, the recognizing, okay, so what's happening at that level of how are we behaving toward one another? And that's the validation part. Can we, can we focus on the validation as opposed to the poor behaviors? But, but there's another level here, it's much deeper. That's our deeper emotional triggers. That's the, you threw away the receipt and I don't feel valued because that's a deep trigger. Or I feel like you're going to leave me. So when you say you don't want to talk anymore, to me, that feels like you're abandoning me and you're giving up on our relationship. Or, you know, what, what, and sometimes this is stuff that goes back to, you know, the way we were raised, you know, how we grew up, um, um, I remember like one couple, he never wanted to get angry because his dad would lose his temper and blow up. So whenever he felt the himself becoming angry, he just walked out of the room. Mm. Well, he felt like he was taking control, that he was being responsible because he didn't want to say something he regret. His wife interpreted that as, you don't care. Whenever it gets heated, you just walk away from me. Mm. It wasn't that you're trying to not blow up. It was that you don't care, do you? <clears throat> so as they both started to understand some of those deeper triggers, you know, usually value, love, are you safe? Um, then it's like, oh, when you're walking away, it's not that you don't love me. It's that you're trying to protect me. And then, so he, he just learned to say, you know what? I need a break. I'll be back in an hour and we'll talk about this. Hmm. But I don't want to hurt you. And I feel like I'm going to say something I'll regret. Yeah, it strikes me underlying all of this is communicating well, um, expressing yourself, getting things out there so that people don't assume or interpret wrongly. Well, yeah. And, and you know, you know what? So if I could understand, if we can understand our, our past, our family of origin, the way we were raised, much of it's like, much of that has influenced us in some ways. So, oh, I'm starting to react because my parents treated me that way and I don't, didn't like it. Or you're not treating me like they did and I don't like it. But then if I can understand and see my spouse through her background, through the way she hears things, suddenly I can have a lot more compassion. It's like, oh, I get what's happening inside of you. Okay, what uh, the fourth step? I, I look these up. Identity, identify conflict patterns. So, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good, you're reminding me. Conflict patterns. That's it. You know, are you? Is, is it? You know, attack, attack, pursue, pursue. Is it? What? What's your? Or is it withdraw, withdraw? What are your patterns that you get into? Where it's not. We're not fighting about money. We're, we're fighting because we 
we don't like the way that we're attacking or we're talking to each other. So I feel attacked. So I attack back. So you attack me back. So then I get upset and I, I treat you with contempt. I roll my eyes. You feel dismissed. So you come at me again. And eventually then I get upset and walk out of the room. And, and couples can start to recognize this is what happens. And, and so first, first just become aware of what's happening in your, in your pattern. And it's like, then you can go, oh, what could we do right now? How could we change this? Because if we continue to escalate, this is not going to end up in a good spot. So it's like, all right, whoa, we are going down our you know, escalation path. Let's, let's just back off. Let's just be quiet for a few minutes. Let's take a break. Let's, let's change it. Or... If you just, you know, instead of seeing me as, as being angry, maybe we could kind of talk about how we're hurt. What are our softer emotions underneath our, our brutal demand criticism? What's something else? Okay. Uh, process, number five, process resentment. You know, so, so especially, you know, if, if this is, you've had a declining marriage stuff. This stuff gets built up over a period of time. And then it turns into the story of the relationship. So it's like, that's the, you never listen to me. Well, why? Because I haven't listened to you in the past. And so now my belief is you are never, ever going to listen to me. So there's resentment built up. And maybe, right, maybe there's some, you know, really poor behaviors that have happened over and over and over again that led you to that conclusion. So it's like, well, what, what is it that's hurt? You know, so there's process, there's forgiveness that has to be done. Mm -hmm. So some of that is understanding, oh, you know what? We both hurt each other, maybe without meaning to. So how can we process that? But, but part of the you know, processing forgiveness is understanding how you've hurt someone or how you've been hurt. And so I think we in the Christian community are so quick to want to, use forgiveness as a way to dismiss something. It's like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Let's never talk about this again. But, but rather to really understand how we really hurt you and how does that hurt and why? And, you know, it's like, I don't want to hurt you. It's not my intent in processing that forgiveness. But then the other part of forgiveness is, is trust. If I want to be in a relationship with you, I could forgive you and not be in a relationship. But if I want to be in a relationship with you, then we're going to have to, I'm going to have to prove myself trustworthy. I'm going to, it, that's on me to prove to you that I'm trustworthy so that my wife's going to come to me and I'm actually going to listen to her instead of dismiss her emotions. And the more I can do that, the more that builds up trust and safety for her. Because now the story of the relationship is, you, know, you never listen to, you know what? <clears throat> Sometimes you listen to, you've gotten really good at listening to me and I appreciate it. And are you perfect? No, sometimes you don't. But overall, you do a pretty good job. Then that turns into the new story of the relationship. And those things can be done. You just have to agree, learn some new behaviors. And then pretty soon, it's like, you're getting better. You're better at it than you used to be. And you can build trust back up uh, by proving you. Know, it's like, yeah, I want to be here for you. And, and I, I struggle. Sometimes I get upset. Sometimes, sometimes I get triggered by something. But... I don't want that to be the story of our relationship. 
The last one is build intimacy. <laughs> so sex is important inside of a relationship. But if people, if, if your relationship has not been going well, odds are your sex life's not going well. But anything we can do to build closeness in our relationship, it also builds intimacy and closeness and physical stuff. And, and I'm not talking just sex. Sometimes it's just, can we sit together on the couch? Or can we hold hands? Or, you know, can you be in my space? And, you know, couples, it's like when, when, when that relationship has been damaged or it's hurt, it's like, I don't want to sit next to that guy. Or, you know, I'm going to avoid him. Or I'm just not even going to be in the same room. So there's really no level of true kind of connectedness between them. But, but that's the building of the intimacy. It's like, well, how can we make it safe for each other? That, mm -hmm. that ultimately, you know, it's like we sit there and we hold each other and we want to be close to one another because you're my safety and security. You're the person I turn to. At the end of the day, I want you in my corner. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's this deep intimacy. And that's, that's been the, you know, the, the extent of when we become one flesh. It's the extent of we're so intimate with one another. It's like we're one flesh. And that's, that's the expression of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, great. Well, let's, let's uh, turn to talking about marriage mentors uh, or marriage champions, as I oftentimes frame them. Uh, what are they and what, you know, who is a marriage champion or who is a marriage mentor potentially? And what's it involved? <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you know, this kind of goes back now into my, it's like, how did I become so passionate? How did I do this? How did I get to be a marriage champion? Well, you initially just kind of like teach a class. And so we did that. And, and I think now, now we can stand in front of a crowd. Not everybody can. And I get that that's the skill set or you know, comfortableness. But I think every single church has got couples would love to talk to other couples. And they just don't know that they can or they're a little scared or they're a little intimidated. They don't feel they know how. And so, and I get that. So we had learned this curriculum <laughs> and we had learned to, to talk to each other, uh, to talk in front of a crowd. And so we would teach this stuff. And then there was a couple that came to our class and they were having some marriage issues. And they said, would you come meet with us? And so my wife and I said, sure. We went over to the house. They could barely be in the same room. Uh, toy with each other and they could barely talk to each other and we felt like so overwhelmed we walked out of there kind of going oh my gosh we are in so far over our heads this is more than like talking about what the five languages of love is or something because they they were just at each other's throats and okay so so that was kind of my <laughs> maybe one of my first steps of marriage mentoring is like oh my gosh I can't do this I'm not qualified. I'm not a therapist. Um, but we kept going and we kept teaching in and we kept, then we got involved in ministry at our church that, you know, was two couples specifically in crisis. It's like, well, the more skill I got or the more experience I got, it's like, yeah, you can do that. You just need to know you can. And, and are there some techniques? Yes. Are there are certainly some techniques. Are there some concepts to learn? Absolutely. There's some best practices at work in marriage. But I think, I think there's couples that probably have a lot of life experience that could learn some of the techniques. They just don't know they can. I, I remember my wife and I, um, a couple had had uh, an affair. Um, and we were kind of like wondering, I don't know, we're not like therapists or anything. Can we really talk to these people? 
and and I ran into a. Uh, if you never know Dave Carter, uh, he wrote a couple of books. Great Christian pastor and psychologist, and he's written some books on affairs. We ran into him at a conference, and and I was talking to him, and and, and I said, you know, wow, you know, you're kind of what we're doing, and but but I'm just I'm just a guy at my church. And he kind of looked at me and grinned, and he said, you can do this. I have no doubt. You can make this happen. And that couple, you invest in them, they could turn their marriage around. And he gave me such encouragement. It kind of like, huh. yeah, you can do it. And it's like, if I, if I could learn to do this, lots and lots and lots of other couples, every church could have couples that could learn to do this. What, what, what is it? What qualities do a marriage champion need to have though? I mean, obviously they, they can't have probably, they can't be in a distressed marriage themselves if they're going to be helping somebody else. Maybe they were in one, but what are some of the, is it just a desire and maybe a commitment to their own marriage to keep making it better? Or what would be some of the qualifications do you think? So, so, okay. So one, you know, I'd say, you know, if you're going to get involved with your church, uh, I tell this to pastors, it's like, well, do you feel comfortable with that? couple leading a small group i mean there's just some basic things of christian ministry yeah i feel comfortable with them leading a small group like okay okay there so there's a whole kind of thing about you know christian leaders and because if you're going to do this you're a christian leader inside your church but beyond that then it's like well i need to have the perfect marriage and it's like i don't really think so i i think frankly the people that have had broken marriages probably have a lot more to say. It's like God comforts us so we can comfort others. And I think the people that have worked their way out of it is like, you're, you're the perfect person because you're going to have compassion and empathy and realism. And so I think you though, you do probably need to be healed to the point um, where it's not about you. It's about them. If you meet with a couple and it's all about you, now you're not ministering to them. You're turning it into about being about you. But it's got to be about that you can help them. So it's about them at that point. And you've processed your stuff enough that you can make it about them. That would be the thing. But for couples that have struggled, maybe they're still recovering. They don't have a perfect relationship. They're not all there. Perfect. Wonderful. You'll get a lot out of this by helping other couples. And so, so we've led a ministry in our church uh, that, that's kind of focused on couples that are struggling. And we've had lots of people that will come through the class and then, uh, you know, as couples working on their, their marriage and they'll come back as, as leaders. And uh, some of the strongest leaders have had, you know, they've been on the edge of divorce. They've been, you know, affairs. They've had addictions. They've, these have become some of the best and strongest leaders because they just kind of approach it with such a compassion and empathy for people. So there is a level at which you need to be healthy, but you don't have to be perfect. Would you? Would that be a way to describe? Or there's a maturity or a certain respect, like you said, a pastor would say, "Yeah, they could lead a small group in my church or something." There's some level of maturity, I guess. I the word I'd use. Yeah, and I would almost say. Uh, so, are there some skills? Can you lead a group? Can you talk to somebody and be compassionate and empathetic? Okay. Um, 
or are you self-involved? <laughs> you know, so this is about helping people. You're compassionate and empathetic, but I haven't met many people that really struggle with that. Sometimes they need to, to get through some of their own stuff. Um, but I probably look more toward what values do you hold rather than what is it, you know, you've done or how long has it been or anything else. So, so values kind of like, um, uh, that it is, you know, so your pain can become their gain is one of my values. So that is the God comforts us so that we can comfort others. In other words, the stuff I can go through can help them. But, but the kind of corresponding value is I'm me and you're you. What worked for me might not work for you. You might have a whole different set of issues. So couples have to figure out what's going to work for them. And it's not your job to, to make cookie cutters. That's not your job. Your job is to help them to feel close, connected, safe, secure. Maybe there's some skills like some of the validation, some of the other things that you can help them to be able to apply. Um, so what, what steps should a couple take if they kind of feel a nudge to, yeah, I'd like to help out uh, in terms of training or experience uh, to gain so they have a level of proficiency? And do you think couples need to do this together or can one individual do this? Let's say one, they may have a good marriage, but maybe they both don't feel called to mentor, but is it really important would you say to have a couple's mentor a couple? You know, lots of therapists are just single therapists and they don't bring their partner into it. So can you do it by yourself? Yeah, absolutely you can. Uh, is there, I think there's a real value to couples mentoring other couples. One, it builds my wife and I, it's built our relationship because we've, it, it gives us kind of something to work through and talk about. And, and she sees perspectives that I don't see. So I see, I see real value to couples ministering together. And couples like to, they appreciate both perspectives. So there, I think there's real value to having couples. I don't think that's a, a requirement. I mean, lots of pastors aren't going to meet, their, their wives or, or spouses aren't just, you know, just aren't going to be part of the counseling session. So can it happen without a couple to a couple? Sure, of course. But, but I can see though where it'd be maybe ideal if you did have a couple that was engaged. I think then you can, give two different perspectives. Yeah. Well, what, what would a couple that wants to become mentors do? What steps would they, to take the next step, as opposed to just having a willingness to do it, what, what things would you recommend? So, you know, there's, there's, this was one of the things I got frustrated with. Um, so this is probably going back about 15 years ago. You know, so we had found curriculum, this marriage curriculum that we taught. And then we was like, okay, what, how can we get better? We really did not find a lot of material that would help us to get to kind of another level. So I got frustrated by that. Now, is there some stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think, you know, lots of churches have got pre-marriage programs. The pre-marriage pr programs, I think most churches have got some kind of a pre-marriage thing. That's a way you can get involved. And then they'll use material like, like uh, Prepare and Rich or Symbus or uh, so there's some pre-married uh, curriculum that's out there. Um, uh, so so those are great, great programs. But but for me, I got more. I was more interested in working with 
my story is more closely aligned to couples that were really struggling because I've been there. And it's like, well, that's who I wanted to work with. Hmm. So then it's, then it's how, how do you find materials and resources? So part of why I launched Connected Marriage is how can I help myself 15 years ago? Um, that's when we went to this, you know, some marriage conferences. We were looking around for stuff and asking people about materials. It's like we just didn't find a lot of stuff out there. Um, and so that's where we kind of then got involved and we learned how to do it. And we started raising up and teaching other leaders. And that's where Connected Marriage came in. Is like, well, I want to teach others how to do this because I'm passionate and I believe in a multiplication process or uh, principles. So if I can teach other leaders and they can work with other couples, I'd, I'd like to equip the leaders. Now, no, there's others that are out there doing this and I don't want to say I'm the only game in town. So that's certainly not true, but that's what my passion is. I want, I want to equip people, couples to work with other couples. And, and oftentimes what I found is uh, at churches, uh, it takes kind of somebody willing to raise their hand, maybe a lay couple to come forward. You know, sometimes, so, so pastor tapped me on the shoulder and said, Phil, why don't you guys do this? But for a lot of churches, that's not going to happen. The pastor uh, might not. So you as a mentor couple might say, need to go to the pastor and say, hey, we really want to do this. Could you refer a couple to us or two couples? Or maybe we start with a couple's Bible study or a couple's small group. So, so, Phil, then what sort of things, if they came to you folks at uh, Connected Marriage, what do you do to train up or develop couples or help couples to become mentors? What, what sort of things do you take them through or what, what tools do you recommend? I mean, what is it they need to maybe get them to the place where they feel like they can go out and start helping? Yeah, so, so there's baseline key concepts. I've defined about 25 uh, and that's like recognize your conflict patterns is a, is a key concept, okay? But then it helps to get some training in the knowing, okay, so what kind of conflict patterns are there? You know, attack, attack, uh, you know, demand, withdraw, those kind of things. So, so what I wanted to do, what I saw as uh, important is to arm people to go out right away and to start doing to working with couples. So, so I created, you know, we teach, we teach live classes, have for years. Uh, I, I turned that into the Connected Marriage. It's an online learning program that uh, has all these kind of concepts. There's 25 concepts laid out that you could say to the couple, okay, we want you to do the, the week on managing conflict. You know, go through that material. So it's online, they, it's online learning. They go off during the week uh, for an hour and then uh, do it by themselves, and then come back and meet with you uh, as a mentor couple. And so they've gotten some of these key concepts, and then you can help them to be able to apply it. So, so I have a way to be able to do that. When they take a survey, they come back and they go, okay, here's kind of areas where you're struggling, or here's some things to apply. And then I'd feed to the mentor, here's some questions to ask, and here's the dialogue to have at that point. And I train people of how to have those dialogues. So how do you have the dialogues of, um, how do you create safety and connection? How do you how do you learn to validate? How do you manage your conflict patterns? Uh, how do you you know process resentment? Uh, you know how do you understand your family of origin, your impact your family, and all those emotional triggers? Um, and then you know how do you build better intimacy? All of those I've built into the material, and then training of how do you help a couple to walk through that. And I, and, and part of my online stuff is. Um, 
so you hear from couples, you'll hear from us, you'll hear from therapists that we put into the mentor part of the training from their perspective of kind of what would you need to know. So do they need to learn the 25 concepts or are there a core that, you know, I'm wondering how this would play out. Uh, now you talked about going through a course, you know, your church will have one. Um, so is there a set process for developing these skills as a mentor? So you feel like, I think I've got the basics down that now I can feel more competent to help somebody. So I think there's some basic things. And I, so I have probably about uh, 10 hours of training that I have on my website that people can access. They have to pay for the thing, but uh, so then they, they, there's about 10 hours. So that's going to give you the basics. And then there's learning. And so part of my ministry is I want to help and coach and equip people of what happens when you get to a specific you know, situation or, you know, how do you handle this particular couple? How do we get more in depth with this? So then I want to be able to, I have people that call me up and ask me those kind of questions. I want to be able to do that. That's my ministry now is to help, help mentors, help couples. So if they were to take, go through the 10 hours, um, is it in a course setting or is it you just go through the material at your own pace and what, what would be the content? Uh, were they the six concepts, the six steps we talked about, or would they be beyond that? So it's the six steps and in, inside of those steps, each of those has three, four different concepts. So that's where you get to 25 concepts. Okay. But then there's, uh, you know, what techniques do you, do you use as a leader? Uh, so we walk through things like, okay, um, what types of questions do you ask? When do you ask specific questions? Uh, you know, one of our values is, you know, don't fix. Thou shalt not fix. And I see <laughs> a lot of fixers out there, especially when you're young at it, you kind of just want to come in and give people advice. And it's like, that's oftentimes a little bit of no help. Um, so how do you handle that? When, when is the time when you really do give some true advice and did, to offer some truth and when don't you? So that's, that's part of my training is they're not, they're not going to hear it. They're not ready for it. And then how do you help them to get, get more ready? So I train people on how to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, you started this program uh, you've got a program going in your church. Maybe describe that a little bit, how that's worked. And, um, and then we can talk a little bit about how working with churches, because my sense is it's a challenge. I, I read one survey where 80% of churches spend zero ministry dollars on marriage. So my sense is it's not a major priority in a lot of churches for, I think, a number of reasons, but but maybe describe a little bit about what you've done in your church and how that's kind of developed. Okay. So, so one, you need to understand that go to a mega church. All right. So we can put something in the bulletin and we're going to get a crowd. So there's about 7,000 people that, that attend with kids and adults and stuff. Uh, so, but I used to go to a church, you know, we started this ministry at a church for about 300. So and there's, there's this different kind of levels of demand, if you will. Um, I honestly think that most churches, you know, if you ask a pastor, of course they want healthy marriages. And what are they going to say? Of course they do. They're, they're, they love people. Of course they do. But, okay, so I was on the board of this church. You know, it's 300 people. 
couples don't ask for help. So, so about third of couples, maybe 30% of couples are struggling to the point where divorce has come up, or at least one person, maybe not both of them, but is thinking about divorce within the last six months, has thought about it. I mean, there's like almost one out of three, all right? So, so you sit down in a pew, <clears throat> if you're in a pretty good spot, odds are the couple to your left or the couple to your right, one of them is, is struggling. Or at least maybe they don't agree, but one of them's thought about divorce in the last six months. That's what the statistics say. But it, it, pastors have a totally different perspective because those same couples don't come up and ask for help. And there's a lot of shame involved with that. And there's a lot of kind of, yeah, but I don't want to get help. And, you know, or maybe one of the, you know, the couples, one of, the, one of the partners just doesn't agree or doesn't, doesn't admit that they need help, doesn't think there is a problem. It's like, this is all your issue. It's not me. So there's a lot of kind of disagreement. So then, then it's like, well, if one, if one of the partners goes, yeah, there's no really big issue here. I'm not, I'm not struggling. It's not a problem for me. And then the couple doesn't go meet with the pastor. So pastors don't get demands for this. So when I was on the board of the church, you go, okay, we got 300 people coming. We get a dozen couples, one a month maybe, that are struggling. Okay. What do you create a program for one couple a month? I mean, we didn't. You know, because we got we got small groups and we got children's ministry and we got youth group and we got all the you know kind of things where when you you know Sunday services, worship, people show up, the people there's a crowd that comes. Um so so we, so we sat in board meetings, we said, okay, what are our objectives for the year? Marriage never made the list because there was never a big issue. Or or it turns into a uh, well, maybe we should have a marriage seminar. We haven't done that for a few years, so we'll bring in a speaker or we'll send them off to a marriage seminar or something. We'll promote that. Uh, but meanwhile, then, then what happens? Let's say you do do a marriage seminar. So, so what we do at our church is we do it twice a year, but, but largely because we have a, a big enough church, we can do that, right? But still twice a year. So like we'll do it February. We did one February, uh, maybe it's late January. You know, ends the end of March. Well, if a couple comes in and didn't sign up and they're coming in, say, mid-March and they're having trouble, what the church's alternative is on the seminar approach is to go, well, come back in September. We're going to do that same class again. Mm. And we're a mega church. You do it twice a year. If you're a small church, maybe, well, we'll do it next year or the year after that. You come back in two years. It, it just doesn't, it isn't workable, feasible. So that was kind of part of the question in my head. It's like, well, one, it doesn't become prioritized. And so then pastors... Um, you know, and there's some great couples therapists and stuff. And so a lot of pastors have a referral list or something that they'll refer them out to. And that's wonderful. Um, but is there more you could do? So that was kind of where my heart started to grow. Of, you know what? If you had a couple, let's say, let's say you're my, the church, 300 people. And we had a few couples that was willing to, that were willing to be mentors. So I get a couple that come in as a pastor. I could go, you know what? <clears throat> Bill and Mary, they'd be happy to meet with you. And they'll work with you couple to couple. And maybe I get two, three of those, and that, that couple gets involved with another couple's two, three couples a, a year. Wonderful. We could really start addressing the needs. Um, th so that's my heart. It's like, how do I help that couple to go, I can meet with another couple. I could do that. And then it's going to come over to my house, and we're going to meet with them. That, that's kind of my heart of how do we help that to happen more so but but the challenge it just never makes the top priority so you say couple pastors don't care i don't really believe that 
but also it's it's you you're thinking broader and a lot of pastors aren't a lot of pastors aren't really counseling pastors no are there counseling pastors of course there are and there's some pastors that are just fantastic about it but a lot of pastors are more teachers and uh, speakers and, and so they're focused on Sunday morning because and, and largely because that's where they had the most contact with people I mean it makes some sense mm-hmm. what um Chris, the problem, I think probably many couples, they don't come forth. I mean, on the one hand, if you had a couple mentoring couples, the pastor could refer the couples that come in to get help to the mentoring couples. But let's say couples, how do you get couples to even acknowledge or express frustration? Or is there a way to create a culture or an environment in a church where couples know that yeah, this is a place we can get help or we need, or even get them to think about, we need help. And are there, are there ways to uh, approach it that way so that you don't just wait till the couple come, the couple who comes in is probably, they're in a rough place if they're willing to even come forth. Well, that's true. And, and, and you know, so I mean, it's like under 20% of couples will actually raise their hand and say, we need marriage help. So you've got... 80% or whatever that aren't even seeking help. Or, or until the, the, you know, you'll find out that they got a divorce. And it's like, did we even know that? It's like, no, they never said anything. We just never knew we were the church, uh, which is discouraging. And so, so yes, how can we create a culture for that? You know, so I still, I, I ask myself this question all the time. So one, we need to de-shame it. You know, we need to, Make sure that that it's like it's okay. Matter of fact, it's a sign of health to ask for help. Uh, two, we need to give people more access. You know, whether it's mentors or more people, um, <clears throat> marriage small groups, uh, even getting it so you can be transparent in your own. Yeah, I went to my own small group and I was transparent with them. And I think there's a lot of that that happens. But how do we how do we create transparency and, and have people come forward? Um, and then, then, so here's kind of something I've been rolling around in my head is the, uh, I think couples are willing to come to my church. You can sign up and then we'll put you in small groups. Okay. And we do this class and, uh, we just did one. We had 75 couples. We started it in February. Uh, we went through the online material and then we met for small groups and I had 13 different small groups. So I had 13 different leader couples that were leading those small groups. I think people can come because in our church, you can go to, you can kind of walk in the doors and walk out and nobody recognizes you. I mean, it's a big church. You can kind of, it's easy to hide if you want to. And so there's pretty good chance you're not going to know anybody or maybe you'll know one person. And then I think of, well, yeah, but there's a lot of churches. You know what? I don't want to get real honest about what's happening because <laughs> I'm just not that vulnerable. And so I think in our church, of when we get 300 people, we would have had a harder time doing that. And so then that's where I look at, Okay, could, could we as Connected Marriage do more just to even put together small groups across churches? And I think ideally, if you are in your local community, far, far better. I'd rather have you go to a local small group and be vulnerable. But I've sat in a lot of those groups where people are not vulnerable with each other. So it's maybe creating an awareness or a, in the church that we are a, we're help willing to help. And if you've got struggles or maybe even helping people identify their struggles and maybe 
So a mentor couple may want to start a small group or create a, some activities within the church which allow people to know their opportunities for help. I think if you had, let's say, okay, so let's use my church of 300 as an example, right? We get, there's probably, there's probably, you know, a number of couples um, uh, that actually could use it and, and just a handful that will come forward. But that doesn't mean there's not 50 couples that, that's where we started teaching. But let's say, let's say a, a mentor couple said, all right, I'm going to do a small group in this church every six months. And that's what we do at our church. And you can get five couples in there. You know what? That's 10 couples a year that maybe never would have gotten it. Now, now uh, can, you, can you work to create vulnerability? Yes. Is there going to be some barriers if, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable that I have a you know, struggle in my marriage? Yes. So that's, that's a challenge that, that you need to, I need to create a way that it's okay to be honest. We need to be able to do that. But that's a lot better than not having anything at all. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend that a couple who has a heart for it take the initiative uh, and go to the pastor? And what would, you, what would you recommend they say to the pastor in terms of we really have a heart for marriages? You know, we've got some experience on mentoring. Uh, what would they offer the pastor? Or what would they offer to do? Would they would it be to start a small group, or would it be something yeah. else? So, so I like, <clears throat> I think if you're going to have, so there's different perspectives of small groups, okay? Right. And some people do have. This is a small group of people that I'm going to be with for the next ten years or whatever, a long period of time. We're going to cover lots of topics, and we hope that real life comes up in those groups. That's different than a kind of a short term. We're going to focus on marriage for eight weeks or something, seven weeks. But those kind of topical things can be helpful. So I would say let's 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 do that. Now, in terms of you know approaching the pastor, um, if you feel really called to do this, I would love to equip you um, or or find other material. I mean, I just want to see it happen. All right. So my you know it's different pastors, but 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 my experience in most pastors, if they trust you and they like you and you kind of make kind of a case of, I'd like to do this program. I think programs work a little better in churches. If you kind of say, here's what it's going to look like and here's what we want to do. I think that's probably more likely to go, oh, if it's a class, yeah, I guess we could run a class because the church thinks in terms of classes or groups or something oftentimes. Um, so then it's a, well, do they trust you as a leader? Do they feel that you can do a good job and then you can grow into it and, and, but, but start with it. And, I think lots of pastors, if they hear, if they had somebody they trusted, had a heart for this, didn't take a lot of their time and energy and effort, would say, go for it. Love to have it. Cool. What about, you know, you're thinking of small groups, it may, a couple small group, but my experience is there's kind of limitations to how deep you may want to go in expressing issues. And sometimes I'm thinking breaking out single sex groups where guys might be willing to share more and women. Uh, I don't know, feedback or thoughts on that, how to engage people in a way which maybe allows them to go more deeply, or is that just limited to a couple on couple situation? You know, honestly, there's just going to be some couples that aren't going to want to be vulnerable with other couples. 
And as much as you try, they're just not going to. So that's where a couple, a couple, couple on couple or, or a smaller group, they might be more willing to be honest. Uh, but I thought a lot about, you know, how do we create vulnerability? That's why, you know, I thought, well, in some smaller churches where I see these people and I know them, maybe I don't want to be as vulnerable. Be In a perfect world, I think people would be vulnerable to each other. But the reality is that's not always going to happen. So then, then um, uh, so you can do couple on couple where you, maybe they feel more vulnerable. Hopefully they could feel vulnerable in a small group. I think those are the healthier groups. That's the real, get, get real, get healed. That's my view. I, realistically, I know that doesn't always happen. But, you know, we're, we're another kind of phrase, and I think this comes out more on a more of a AA kind of thing, but, you know, you're sick as your secrets. And the more we can get real with our sins and just confess our sins to one another, and the more we are, I think, the more healing we can get. But that's my viewpoint. Not everybody's going to want to do that. And when we were going through it, I'm not sure that we were as vulnerable as I'm willing to be today. Is there a place for? Can I answer your question, or did I miss something? Yeah, well, no, no, that's good. I, I'm just wondering: is there a way in which single-sex groups, let's say, you have a couples group, and then they break off? Maybe one week the women will meet and the men will meet, because I just think sometimes men aren't going to share deep problems in front of wives of other guys who they, you know, it's just, there's just kind of a. Or do you feel that that can be done or does happen? Well, my experience is that it does happen. Okay. Uh, however, I, I don't particularly do much of the splitting up of sexes. Okay. Mainly because I want the couples to communicate. Um, so the poor way that can go is one person now blames their spouse and their spouse isn't there to hear it. And so... Now there's kind of like, well, nobody can really argue. They can say, well, they can say whatever they want about their spouse. Well, they're so this, they do this, they do this, and no, who's going to argue? Who's going to contradict that? So I often don't like to do that because I see that kind of blame system coming out. Now, if, if, if you as a leader are able to go, you're just talking about yourself and what changes you're making in yourself, then great, give it a shot. But I don't want to go into the blame cycle. Right. So, but I have found sometimes, I personally don't break people into men and women groups, but others have told me that they found that to be effective. And if it works, it works, go do it. Or com a combination of the two. And as you said, when you are in the single sex groups, how you, the leader approaches it saying, what are your issues and what are you doing about them as opposed to getting, you know. But, but, but this, and this is why I like having feedback from your spouse of, Yes, I am going to, you know, show her love by picking up the dishes. Well, what if she wants quality time? Then you're not communicating love to her. The definition of what communicates love is her definition, not yours. Mm -hmm. So you going out and bringing home a big salary, but you're gone all the time. That's not necessarily a definition of love. That might be the issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is great, um, Phil. I really appreciated uh, hearing your story, your experiences, and your perspectives because you've obviously thought a lot about it. Um, I guess a couple things. Closing, uh, if one wants more information on connected marriage, where would they go to get it, and what what sort of things do you offer at, at your through your website? 
so connectedmarriage.org um, is my website. And so you can sign up, you can get my blog posts. Um, you know, so I'll come out with some tips and tricks and you can sign up and get those via my email list if you want. You, know, you can check it out. I have got a bunch of blog posts if you want to read them. They're all posted on there. You know, the program itself, um, there's a mentor training program, but that's kind of how do you use the couple program? So there's a couple program that if, I, I only do it through mentors, okay? So because I have very little confidence that a couple by themselves will find it effective. Otherwise, if they would, there's great marriage books out there. They would have read about those and already done those. So, so I go through mentors, but I want to equip the mentors to be able to help the couples. Uh, so there is a program on there. It's on my website. You can take a look at it. Um, and if you got questions, you can reach out to me. And, and if you don't want to use my program, fine. I still want to equip you in the best way possible because I, my desire is that we have healthier marriages and we have leaders and mentors that have a passion for marriage. The more we can get, the better off we'll be. So your focus with connected marriage is mentors. You're not seeking necessarily to help couples who have major struggles or distressed marriages per se, but it's focused more on the mentor training. You know, if, if I spend all my time working with couples, I'm going to run out of time really, really. Right, early. right. So I want to multiply that, and I want to train other leaders to be able to work with couples. Right. So, so that's, that's my thinking. It isn't that I don't want to hear from couples. No. I want to multiply my time by pouring into the leaders so that they can work with couples. No, no, I, I fully understand that. But that is the focus of the, the program is to work with the mentors. Where would couples who are having struggles, where would you recommend they go? You know, so if your church has got a, a program, great, ask for help. <laughs> ask for it to help. And maybe it would go up on the pastor's, you know, important priority and they'll work something out, okay? Uh, but two, if, that, if that's not working or you don't feel like you're getting the support that you need, you can go to, you know, there, there are Christian therapists that will help. There are, there are, there are great therapists out there. Uh, you know, there's some that I, I might not like to go with. So there's some bad ones too. Uh, but you can go to, you know, say American Association for Christian Counselors. They have, you know, listing of counselors. You can, you can go to folks on the family. They do the same thing. Uh, and so you can go and get some counselors there as well. Great. Well, any last, uh, comments that anything you'd like to leave people with who have listened to our conversation <laughs> join the mission come help me <laughs> I, I and if, if this is at all intriguing then come and you know let's let's figure it out because i want to help you to be able to do it uh and equip you on how to do it okay well thank you very much for your time phil thanks tom